0: You're with Shim, Spider and so much more. Take it away, fellas. Yes, hello again and welcome along for your weekly dose of Shim, Spider and so much more. And since we last met, talks over the CBA between the A-League clubs and the PFA have seemingly hit a roadblock. The new English Premier League season has kicked off and Alessandro Diamanti was named the Johnny Warren Medalist for the A-League season just gone. A little later on in the show, we've got national team coach Graham Arnold here in the studio as our special guest. But closer to home, last week we brought you the inside story on Spiders' big move to Greece. This week, it's Maury who's making the headlines here in Australia after being appointed as the new head of football operations for the Canberra A-League bid team. So let's get straight into it. Maury, how did all this come about and what is your new role? Yeah, mate, look,
2: uh, obviously with Spiders, big news in the last week, I, I didn't want to miss out on the opportunity. No, <laughs> uh, so, nah, look, I've been having regular conversations uh, with Ron Smith and, and Michael Caggiano, who's uh, the director. Uh, Ron Smith is someone that is obviously uh, been heavily involved in this bid process to oversee the, the whole of football. And uh, my discussions and kind of what the conclusion that we've come to is to, to support Ron Smith in... Um, in putting the full football infrastructure in place uh, for this football club if accepted, so is this a full-time role, Maury?: It will be it will be so at the moment uh, it's obviously in the, in the early stages, um, you know so in heavily hit dialogue with James Johnson at the FFA, but hoping to, to get approval and, and, and be live and, and operational from January.
3: there is Is that, is that you moving Sorry. to Canberra, Maury?
2: Mate, I'm still on the flight back to to UK tomorrow, Spider, because uh, it's still very quiet, as you know, here in Australia. And to be placed in Europe for for business opportunities, uh, we all agree, is is still a far better fit at this moment in time.
3: Brilliant. Well, mate, good luck with the Buds. That's great to hear.
0: Maury, there is no official expansion process underway. So as far as you're (laughs) aware, what is the state of play for Canberra. We know that they, they made a bit of noise in the media a week or two back. A mm-hmm. uh, lot of speculation that that they might be in Season 21-22. <clears throat> well, what do you know?
4: Well,
2: what I want to know, like I said, is that uh, the directors um, at Canberra are in heavy discussions uh, with James Johnson uh, and that hopefully uh, the FFA are able to, to make a decision uh, come January whether or not uh, Canberra will be a team that is accepted i mean look this is our uh, a ready made uh, team with, with uh, you know the facilities and, and more importantly simon local government support of, of you know to the tune of 1.5 million so i think in the 15 year a league history i don't think there has been a club with that kind of support a rather a
0: league club supportive
2: yeah, I mean, again, why would you not be supportive of um, investment in Australian football at this at this moment in time? And like I said, it's it's um, able to, to tap into to government and, and bring something different, um, immediate stability. And, um, you know, personally, I've got a bit of a soft spot for Canberra coming through the, the, the AIS. And uh, extremely passionate, like everybody um, to do with Canberra, are about providing... Um, some really good opportunities for, for young uh, young youth and the, the pathways and all these kind of things. So look, there hasn't been um, any heavy uh, suggestions to, to not want to go down the path of a Canberra from other
0: clubs and hopefully uh, we'll get the right decision. Okay, we shall uh, watch that situation with interest. Um, Spider, sorry to keep you waiting over there in Greece. We know you got up early to speak to us. Um, what, what's the situation over there with, with Zanti And uh, the appeal to stay in the Super League, I see, was, was rejected. There is some talk of going to the Court of Arbitration for sports. I don't know if you're across any of this. How's it all going over there?
3: It's a lot of information. But big Spider-Man first thing in the morning. <laughs> but, uh, look, as far as we know, as far as we know uh, we're playing second division. So there's no two ways about it. We're putting a team together at the moment uh, to win the second division and go back up into the Super League. Now, it is Greece, so anything is possible. uh, We we don't want to go to courts. We don't want to be waiting another six weeks before we start playing. So as far as we know, we're playing second division, Matt. We move on. At the moment, we've got eight players. Uh, We're we're filtering through it all. We we started off with about 33, Maury. Yeah, uh, we're, down to, we're down to about eight that uh, Popper actually considers first team players at the moment. So it's, it's still a process, uh, and you know what it's like here in Europe. Uh, everyone waits the last minute before they decide uh, if they want to come or they don't want to come. So it's it's going to be quite an interesting process in the next two weeks, I think.
2: Spider through the through the packing process for me here, I I found a, a pair of boots, mate. Any chance of a look in?
3: Oh come on, big shots, we <laughs> need to stop huh? comfort. <laughs> mate, let me tell you, uh, after, your, after your body check against Olympia, course, in my oh. last game in Greece, mate, I don't know if you're welcome back here.
2: Mate, it only took me five minutes
0: as well. <laughs>
3: oh, after the hour and a half of riots before the game kicked off.
0: Is there any goalkeepers for you to coach uh, Spider amongst that eight? Mate.
3: If I tell you truthfully, hopefully this doesn't go out to Greece. I've got five at the moment and I don't think any of them will be playing. So we're looking for keepers, son.
0: (laughs) Get the gloves on, Maury. Okay, uh, let's get into our opening segments, which is Simon Says. Simon Says. Now, one of the most perplexing stories of late concerns the Charles Perkins Academy, the initiative aimed at providing better pathways for Indigenous footballers and named after one of the pioneers of our game and championed by A-League New Boys, MacArthur FC. Now, according to FTBL this week, and indeed football today, as long ago as last month, after less than a year in operation, the academy chair, Professor John Maynard, announced it had closed its doors. Maynard cited the change in ownership at MacArthur along with the COVID 19 pandemic as the primary reasons. The board resigned in April. Yet MacArthur dispute that version. They say that the Academy remains operational and that the previous board wanted to make it an Australia wide programme and not a local one, which is their preference. Frank Farina, one of the few Indigenous male players to represent Australia, is the director of football at the Academy. His contract was reported as being due to finish in April. Yet Farina confirmed to me over the weekend that he is still on the payroll with MacArthur and that the club still has plans to work with Indigenous kids, particularly in conjunction with other A-League clubs. The Charles Perkins family, who say they are completely in the dark as to whether the academy is an ongoing concern or not, have, on the advice of the now departed board, requested the name of their late father be removed from the academy. MacArthur say they've offered the name as a trademark back to the family. As of today, the name and logo still appears on the MacArthur FC website and the Academy website remains active, yet its Twitter account isn't. A quick check on ASIC confirms the Academy was registered to MacArthur FC on the 28th of February this year. Now, I've spoken to all sides in this story, and as is often the case with the game in this country, You can speak to 10 or even 20 people to try and get to the truth and end up more confused than you were at the start. This story is no different. Whoever is in the right and whoever's in the wrong, what is disappointing is that politics could impact upon a very real need within the game. There is a distinct lack of Indigenous players in the A-League in particular. I emceed the launch of MacArthur FC last year and was particularly impressed by their commitment to Indigenous youngsters. Indeed, there was even some talk at one stage of them adopting an Indigenous name for the club. That commitment may well still be there. They say it is. But 12 months on and the Academy's future is a little unclear. This is not just MacArthur's issue, but a football one. There is so much untapped Indigenous talent in this country, yet other sports like AFL and Rugby League continue to hoover most of it up. Some of that is down to money. Those sports are better funded than ours, and our lack of clout within the halls of political power also contributes. There are signs, particularly with the FIFA Women's World Cup coming here in 2023, that that is changing. That's great. But what isn't changing anytime soon is the politics that bedevils the game of football. And the name of a great Indigenous footballer and activist is right in the middle of this one. I wonder what would Charles Perkins make of it all? I'm reminded of the late journalist Andrew Detre's fantastic quote, which sums everything up. This sad tribal compound in which soccer exists accommodates genuine zealots, verified madmen, innocent idealists, mercenary opportunists, egomaniacs, loudmouth dilettantes, pro and anti-ethnics, a few con men, and a fairly large number of amazed bystanders. For promising Indigenous footballers, many marginalised by geographical separation, financial hardship, and let's be honest, probably still, even in 2020, a fair dollop of racism, this is not just irritating, it's a tragedy. Let's hope the Charles Perkins Academy, or whatever it might be called, can survive, the politics be put aside, and the focus be put back on what really matters, and that's the game of football. Let's move on to Hard Talk. Talk Hard Talk. Now, Hard Talk is brought to you by Streamgate, which has been live streaming since 2008, specializing in custom built stream pages, pay per view, and multi language streaming. They can cater to large online conferences with multiple simultaneous streams and destinations, including all social media channels servicing clients right around Australia. Go to streamgate.com.au or find them on Instagram. Well, the CBA continues to be the biggest issue affecting the game at the moment. I touched upon this last week, so we won't go in depth this week. But safe to say that Tuesday, maybe even before then, is an important day for the A-League. That is the day that players are due to be paid. But the standoff regarding any future collective agreement continues. The clubs want to implement pay cuts of up to 30%, while the PFA is standing firm and has suggested staggering cuts over a period of three years or even a cap for a year, which leaves clubs and players free to negotiate individually, while the game works its way through the hardship of COVID and prepares for a new broadcast deal, or indeed, of course, to go it alone. Maury, let's start with you on this one. Where does this land? Because ultimately, I guess, there simply has to be some sort of an agreement.
2: Yeah, there, there has to be, Simon, but I, I just think it's ludicrous that players are waiting to see whether they get paid on Tuesday. For me, I just can't wrap my head around that. I know that there's three clubs that have said that, that they will commit to paying the players' salaries, Victory, Sydney FC and Melbourne City. But my, my issue here is a lack of leadership. Um, for me, when you're going through tough times and tough decisions need to be made, unfortunately, you need to be front and centre. You look at, at proha- proactive behaviour, Simon, and proactive behaviour was when the golden generation partnered with a strategy with the FFA that turned a $10 million broadcast deal into $32 million. That's what happens when you have strategy and you're proactive. For me, this, this waiting game of who's going to take the lead, who's going to decide, once again, it just drags the game through the mud. So who takes and, the
0: lead, who, t- who, who Who do you want to take the lead here?
2: I, I want the I want the FFA to take control. Spider.
3: Yeah, look, I I think it's clear as day that the FFA needs to take control. Uh, I'm I'm a little bit lost with it all, guys. To be fair, uh, and a little bit like what? Why are these players waiting to to see if they get paid on Tuesday to see what's going to happen? They uh, should know. Yeah, of course they should know. And I, I heard it was last Friday, Maury. And then obviously they had the weekend, Saturday, Sunday. Now we're into Monday. Now is it going to happen Tuesday? So then, what happens on on Tuesday morning? The players don't get paid. What? Everyone's free. How's it How's it work, Maury?
2: That's a good. That's a good question, Spider. And um, and that's that's the uncertainty. Um, and look, we're not silly enough to know that for the. For the odd player, um, you know, mutual termination or being a free agent is, is going to be a real positive. Yes. But let's not, let's not forget for the majority of these players, this is, is real turmoil and, and uncertainty around the, about, uh, the future of the, their livelihood. So, uh, unfortunately, we don't have the answers. But I just think it's crazy that we're at this situation because, Simon, you touched on it last week. I've been talking about it for four months
0: let's let me play devil's advocate just for a moment here james johnson to be fair to him has indicated uh, in a, an interview he did with Mick lynch in the age over the weekend that if mm-hmm. uh, the two factions continue to war without an end in sight then he will step mm-hmm. in but I, I want to ask you you know that the clubs have been pushing for independence for a long yep. time that still hasn't officially happened we know that but mm-hmm. but we are moving towards it <laughs> very very slowly but we're moving towards it if the clubs are going to be independent and run their own Uh, show, Mm. then this is on them and the players to sort it out between them, isn't it? I I mean, the FFA are not going to be uh, in control of the league. And and I think that's the But they still have 20%, Simon, but they still have
2: 20% of whatever new But it's not the majority, is it? No, it's not. But the overall governing body of the game, to make sure that the game has a future, to make sure that there is not all of this uncertainty. For me, I'm not waiting to see what happens.
0: But is uh, that is that not a co- sorry, Maury, that. Is is that not a is that not a cop out uh, by the clubs uh, and the players to a lesser extent? But certainly the clubs that every time there is an issue that can't mm. be resolved, you know, they have to go running to the FFA and ask James Johnson or whoever it is to to, to sort the, the the problem out.
2: Yeah. Now, look, it's certainly not a, a great start in, in what the the new independents uh, can look like, but because it is the beginning and I stress because it's the beginning, I would be getting in there ASAP if I'm the FFA and making sure that there is certainty behind our game.
3: A a little bit with the independents as well, guys, is uh, who is the independents? Like, I mean, we know Melbourne Victory can take care of himself. We know Western Sydney. We know Sydney FC, uh, Western United. But, you know, can Perth, with all the turmoil that's happened there? Can Brisbane? Can Central Coast? Where's Newcastle situation? So, but it's a, it's, Six, a it's a collective. It's a collective spider.
0: It's a collective spider. I mean, it's yeah. you know, indep- an independent league means that all the clubs are, there, there are one together. There is one. Yeah.
3: Yeah, no, I I agree. But with the turmoil that all these clubs have with the ownership and that, it'd come down to the ownership, wouldn't it? The people who own the club, uh, they're the ones who have got to put the money in. So they'd have a big say in it. And at the moment, we've got four or five clubs that probably financially aren't in great situations because of COVID. So where is the independence? Like, even as an owner, I, I'd be scared at the moment.
0: But that's what they push for. They push for it you know, for uh, two, three years ago and, and mm-hmm. ousted the old boards and that, that was their strong desire. And here we are two or three years later and, and it still hasn't happened. Anyway, we'll wait and see what the outcome of uh, the CBA talks uh, are. Hopefully it uh, ends in a compromise deal that, that suits everybody and uh, most importantly, uh, allows the clubs to uh, continue as ongoing concerns and gives the players Uh, what they need to to pay their mortgages and and, uh, put food on the table for their families. Let's move on and talk about uh, the A-League Awards, which were handed out this week. Uh, Alessandro Diamante named the Johnny Warren medalist. Um, I I certainly have no problem with that. I'm not sure whether you Mm -hmm. guys do. The interesting one for me, Eric Mombear, Coach of the Year. Uh, Mm -hmm. Tell me something. Steve yeah, Collins, you're not happy with that, are you? <laughs> wins the Premiership, the Championship. He's gone back to back, only the second coach after Ange Coglu to do so. And yet he's not coach to a year. How does that work?
3: Yeah, you got you gotta say he's pretty unlucky.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I think that's a uh, hard statement. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's go on, go on
3: by your voice there, Simon. You, you're not happy with that. You want that re-changed, don't, no, no, don't want No,
0: I don't want it changed. But I, I think, obviously, this comes down to the voting system and the coaches vote uh, you know, yes. for each other or maybe against each other. Who knows? Yes. But I do think if you win the double, I mean, what more can he do? Yeah,
2: yeah. No, I, I I, agree with you, Simon. I think Steve Corica, uh, for what he's done for... Not only this season, but you touched on the last, the last two seasons. Um, to, to win the double this year and not be named coach of the year. Uh, very, very harsh on Stephen Koraka. For
0: me, he was a coach of the year.
3: Yeah, all three of us agree. And that's why Bimby didn't win. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, and, and that's to take nothing away from Eric Bombay, who did a terrific job with Melbourne. Great job. Uh, and of course, is now uh, headed back to France with Paddy Kisnorbo uh, taking over. We wish him all the very best. And uh, honourable shout out as well to Ufuk Talo. I thought I had a terrific uh, he campaign did. with with Wellington Phoenix. Talking of coaches, guys, uh, Carl Veer not, not officially over the line yet as Adelaide United's new head coach, but it looks as though it's going to happen in the next few days, which is probably a no-brainer. Um, Riley McGree looks as though he, he wants to head overseas. Is is that the right move for him at this stage of his
3: career? Where's he going, Zanti? Don't know.
0: <laughs> you put in a bid, Spider. Uh, yeah, I think.
2: It, but again, how does this play out, Spides? This is the thing uh, with this uncertainty. Um, you know, I mean, Adelaide will be desperate to to obviously if Riley McGree is going to to move on overseas, But they want to be rewarded in terms of a transfer fee. So, look, if Adelaide United get the right offer, Riley McGree is on his way. Uh, that's pretty clear. Unofficially, we mentioned Carl Viet a few weeks ago uh, in oh. terms of the oh. Adelaide, Adelaide United uh, job. So, uh, look, it'd be interesting. Like I said, Riley McGree is a great, a great player for Adelaide United, but the, the, the business of football, it would make a lot of sense to sell him if they get the right offer.
3: Yeah, I think, I think the problem with Riley could be more in the transfer fee because I think uh, unofficially, I think Adelaide has something like a million dollars that they want for Riley. And I think this is going to be the hardest thing for players. Whatever mm. happens. Today, tomorrow with the CBA. This is going to be the hardest thing for these players to get out. And I think the clubs in Australia, whichever situation it is, are probably better off working out a situation to let the boys go overseas and play. I think Riley McGree is ready to go overseas. I think he's a very good player. I think placed in the right league. Mm-hmm. I think in two, three years, you can make he can make some serious money uh, for the club that, that uh, gets a hold of him. And Adelaide, in all fairness, will probably make more money, Maury, if they're selling from Europe, then they will from Australia.
2: Yeah, no, you're right. You're right, Spides. I actually think that, um, you know, that sell-on is obviously uh, hopefully a great opportunity for, for Adelaide United. But I, I believe that Riley McGree is a player that, um, that actually could fetch $1 million and hopefully so because that's what we want to happen in Australia, Spides. That's the part that's been missing and, and that money coming back into the game. So hopefully... In this situation,
3: I'm not sure, Maury. That's the only thing. In their situation, where we're at now, COVID. You know, I I can tell you firsthand, guys, clubs over here aren't basking in the sunshine. Yeah. They're actually just making it work.
0: Mm. It's a tough situation for uh, everybody, not least for A-League clubs. uh, With the uncertainty over this CBA deal... Uh, A lot of our better talents are starting to move overseas. Riley McGree certainly might might be one, although he remains here for the time being. Sam Silvera uh, of the Mariners has gone to Pacos de Ferreira in Portugal. Mitch Mm. Duke and Dimi Petratos uh, have gone off to Saudi Arabia. I I guess the fear is, uh, if, as rumoured, the salary cap comes down to just over $2 million, that our better Mm. talents will all go overseas. What does that then do, Spider, to the quality of the A-League next season at a time when uh, the league and the game in particular needs to be attracting a new broadcast partner and better investment in terms of sponsors ahead of the culmination of the Fox deal next year?
3: Yeah, yeah. Look, Simon, it's it really is scary. Uh, the situ- Look, players will always be there. That's that's guaranteed. Opportunities, hopefully, for for players that haven't had the opportunity, they will get that but we will be able to draw players like Diamante and look how good Diamante has been in a very difficult year for everyone. He's been the light at the end of the tunnel. He's been fantastic. You know, Del Piero, when he came was, you know, lifted the league. Is it going to happen this year? Look, it's difficult, but I do think maybe it's better that we have a season where we do actually come back a little bit to fix the situation off the park and then we can actually yeah. draw the big players back.
0: Some of the other moves that have uh, uh, eventuated this last week, Aidan O'Neill has gone to Melbourne City. No surprises there after leaving Brisbane Mm -hmm. Raw. Uh, Marco Tilio and reportedly Tarash Gamolka going to City as well. Uh, this is their template, isn't it? I guess, following on from the likes of Daniel Arzani and Rami Nazarene, they sort of scout around for the best uh, uh, local talents, uh, even though Nathaniel Atkinson has gone the other way. He's gone out to Perth. Uh, they polish the rough diamonds and, and sell them on for money if if they're good enough, Maury.
2: Yeah, and that's, that's their business plan and it's a very successful uh, business plan, uh, not only working here, but obviously overseas. You look at clubs like Brentford, uh, I think they sold Ollie Watkins for thirty million um, so look that, that 's their business model, and, and city will always look to engage and, and get the best younger players and as you say, you know try to to give them that extra bit of development and game time and hopefully sell these players, which you know is a benefit for for all parties it 's a be- benefit for Australian football because they go to the next level, Melbourne City make their money
0: at the other end of the spectrum, of course. Uh, some of the foreigners that came in last year, Midian Basher has returned to Europe. Means, uh, that means that all victories foreigners from the start of last season, hmm. Basher, Ulla Teuveren, uh, Kiki Dobras, Jakob Paulsen and Tim Hoogland have all gone, which I guess uh, tells its own story. You have to get your imports right in the A-League if you're going to uh, succeed. Um, Wellington Phoenix players exited their quarantine bubble this week, 80 days after entering into it in (laughs) Australia. Wow. Uh, And they've lost Callum McCowett to Helsingor in Denmark. Gary Hooper's gone to India. And of course, uh, Libby kakache has gone to to Belgium. Belgium. So uh, another rebuilding job, I guess, for for Orfi Tala, Spider.
3: Yeah. But again, as I said, Simon, you know, you, you lose some players and other ones get the opportunity. And that's everywhere around the world. And, if you have a look at the modern-day game, a lot of the players that go to play in the Premier League or you know, in Serie A in Spain, every year they change. There's two or three new players and you go, oh, who's this kid or where did he come from? Like Bayern Munich's the same and that's a massive club. But they are always changing players. So that, that's a part of the game he has. And if clubs are smart... And they use it to, to sell off players, younger players like the Leipzig, sell off the, the Werners that go to Chelsea and make their big money and know where they are in the in the pool. That's fantastic.
0: Maury, I want to ask you about uh, an interesting signing for Oldham Athletic, uh, now, of course, managed by Harry Kuehl. They've signed George Blackwood from yes. Adelaide United. A big chance for George there, even though it's lower leagues in mm. England. Has he got what it takes mm. to, to play in that particular style of competition and, and kick on from there?
2: Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think he has. I mean, uh, look, George, he's, he's come and showed bits and pieces of, of what he can do here in the A-League. We know he's a, he's a big lad. Uh, the physicality is something that he will need to, to improve upon. But for a big fella, he's got good feet. He has the ability to, to, to go either side. Uh, and, you know, I've seen his quotes. Uh, to be able to work under, under one of his idols um, in, in Harry Cool, I think is a wonderful opportunity. I know that H didn't get off to the, the, the winning start he wanted over the weekend. But great opportunity for Georgie Blackwood. And I actually think he can step up to the mark. In terms yeah. of...
0: Yeah, go on, Spider.
3: No, I've always been a fan of George Blackwoods, even when I had him as a kid at Sydney FC. And again, we've always spoke about it. It's about opportunities. Now, he's been in the A-League for a while. Has he been a standard first 11 player? No, not everywhere. But has he been an impact player? Yes. And here in Europe, to be fair, a lot of clubs, they sign players and they say, well, this guy can be an impact player. I use him as an impact player. But I think the vision too, under Harry, I think it's a great stepping stone. And you know what? Guys, he wasn't going to play now for the next six months anyway in Australia. So if it doesn't work, he can always come back to Australia.
0: We wish him all the very best with his uh, move to England. Talking of England, uh, our female players are going pretty well. Um, Sam Kerr is finally getting amongst the goals uh, for yeah. Chelsea. She had a bit of a stick a bit of stick from uh, uh, the press over there for, yeah. for not being among the goals. Caitlin Ford was also on target for Arsenal in a 9-1 yeah. win against West Ham for whom... Uh, Mackenzie Arnold Arnold, Uh, Spider I want to ask you about this one Uh, As a goalkeeper If you cop nine in a game I don't know whether that ever happened to you That's got to affect your confidence Whether you're at fault for those goals or not
3: Yeah uh, The worst part is Simon You're going home you're going Yep I'm getting dropped next week 100% (laughs) (laughs) It's not not good is it Uh, But it can happen And clearly it has happened
0: Okay, Uh, final one on this uh, particular segment. Uh, The Asian Champions League is resuming this week. uh, In the West, in the hub in Qatar, Uh, already Al-Wada of the UAE have pulled out due to uh, five positive COVID tests. Another five from Al-Hilal and one from al Duhail of Qatar. Um, All uh, a little bit uh, precarious over there in the West. And there's also an interesting press release that uh, went out this week with regards to Sydney FC's group and uh, those involving Perth and Melbourne Victory as well. The AFC put out a a press release saying that the games have been pushed back to November. We knew that, but there was no mention of a venue. Now, I'm told that the Malaysian government at the moment, it was of course slated to to be in Malaysia, this group. The Malaysian Mm. government is not allowing anybody in or out of that country at the moment. How on earth do they solve this and, and get this competition finished? Because we're still at the group stage and normally yeah. it finishes in December. How on earth do they do it?
2: A yeah, big ask. A big ask to see, um, I think, this um, ACL even completed. Um, you know, I spoke with um, Melbourne Victory recently uh, and it's still that, that uncertainty, Simon, again. So it's been pushed back to November. No venue um, or destination. Um, still in place. So, yeah, it's, it's really looking as if it's going to be a challenge for, for this ACL to even be completed this year.
3: Yeah, that just sums up how big the continent is uh, and how difficult. Like, when you concentrate on one one country, you can sort of protect yourself in that little bubble. But when you actually start flying around everywhere and you've got teams coming from all over the world, uh, it makes it very difficult. It, it'll be... I don't think they'll complete it unless they do a one-off format like the Champions League did. Which,
2: which was a great success, let's be honest. They're talking about um, revisiting uh, that kind of scenario.
0: Yep. We shall see uh, whether they get it done or not. I guess uh, there's a lot of financial implications uh, in terms of sponsors, mm. advertisers, TV revenue, etc. Uh, if they don't. But uh, certainly seems like a tough ask to get it done before the end of the year. All right, let's uh, get overseas, shall we? London Calling. London calling. Yep, London calling indeed. Uh, And it was in the English capital that the Premier League resumed over the weekend with uh, Arsenal defeating Fulham by three goals to nil. Other results, Liverpool edging out Leeds in a seven-goal thriller at Anfield. Crystal Palace edging out Southampton by the only goal. West Ham nil, Newcastle two. West Brom nil, Leicester three. And Everton winning at White Hart Lane. Um, Mm. Guys... Let's start with that Liverpool-Leeds game. Wow. I mean, we we remember years ago the classic 4-3 that ended up in Leeds' favour. But uh, if anything, this game uh, was even better and and showed uh, Spider that Leeds, I reckon are going to have an interesting season under Marcello Bielsa.
3: Hasn't it been fantastic with all the hype they've been getting that uh, Bielsa's going to do this and Bielsa's going to do that? And he came come out and he he really did stamp his uh, mark on the Premier League. It was a fantastic match, seesawing effort. Uh, the players from Leeds would have lost no confidence at all uh, losing that match. And you know what? They're going to have a fantastic season and they're going to be very enjoyable to watch.
0: Maury, um, in terms of Liverpool, are you concerned by their lack of... Uh, activity in the transfer market and the fact that uh, they seemed a little bit vulnerable defensively, particularly, strangely enough, Virgil van Dijk.
2: Yeah, he took a little bit of flack, didn't he, over the weekend, especially for the, I think it was the second goal, being a little bit casual uh, was a shout over there. But also Trent Alexander-Arnold probably struggled a little bit. But look, the season's just started. Defensively, uh, Liverpool will be fine. Um, in terms of recruitment, wise uh, Simon, I, I'm a. I love stability uh, and and, and you're the odd player or two coming in. And so, look, I don't see. Liverpool are not great in terms of defensively, and they still they still won against Leeds uh, United, who I agree with Spider. I think Leeds United will be, um, you know, decent this season. I I, I think that they're not going to go down. I think they'll be a good mid-table team and play entertaining football.
0: Spider, what about uh, Arsenal? Uh, big win over Fulham. Okay, Fulham are expected to struggle this season, but uh, their new boys, uh, Gabriel and William in particular, did uh, very, very well. And their uh, sort of stock continues to grow under Mikel Arteta. Are they, are they a good chance not only of top four, but maybe even a little bit higher this season?
3: Yeah, we spoke about them a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? They, they seem to be copping some flack for not spending money either, but uh, they were good on the weekend. And I agree with you. Fulham were probably poor uh, and will struggle, as will the other two teams. I think Leeds will survive. I think West Brom will go straight back down, like they do up and down. And I think Fulham will do that. But Arsenal were class. They, they were actually really good. Um, he's got them firing. They didn't have a long break after they finished last year off. They've come back, started off on fire. Good brand of football. New players come in, done really well. Uh, good side, top four, I would say. I don't think they can. Push the top two to win it. Now, even Chelsea's a chance, I think, this year to win it.
0: We'll talk about Chelsea and uh, Man City and Man United in just a moment because, of course, they didn't play on the opening weekend of the season. Uh, Maury, I wanted your view on Everton, who uh, defeated Spurs by the only goal at White Hart Lane. Um, they've made some interesting investments during the off-season. Carlo Ancelotti has, has been uh, quite active. They, they brought in James Rodriguez and Alan, mm. the defensive midfielder from Napoli as yep. well. Could could they be a team that's going to do perhaps what Wolves or Leicester or um, you know one or two others have done in in recent seasons, Sheffield United, and really sort of push for that yeah. uh, that top six? Look,
2: I I don't think that I mean of course for Everton they'll be looking to push uh, top six. I I still even with the recruitment made uh, and getting off to a winning start uh, away to Spurs, uh, I can't see Everton um, pushing into to the top six. But I think that they'll be. A good side this season; they'll be hard to break down. Um, Ancelotti's a fantastic uh, manager. Has his team playing a, a, a good way of football to get football results. Can't see him making a dent to the top six though. Any
0: concerns over Tottenham uh, Spider?
3: Oh, far out! He's got a he's got a huge, <laughs> far out. You know, I, I watched that game yesterday with real interest. You know, because uh, obviously Ancelotti uh, and what he's done and how he's recruited and Mourinho, I like Mourinho. He gives me value. So I actually oh, do like watching him. Yeah, I do, I do like watching his teams. But far out, they, they look like they're going to struggle again. Mm. They really do.
0: In terms of uh, uh, the other teams that didn't play over the weekend, Manchester City, of course, uh, were very strongly linked with Leo Messi during the offseason. It didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did get Ferran Torres. Uh, they got Nathan Arke as well from, from Bournemouth. Mm-hmm. Do they need... One more central defender. There's a lot of talk about Kaladu Koulibaly from, from Napoli. Is that what they need to, to take the title away from Liverpool?
2: I think, Simon, you know better than anybody. That's exactly what they need. Um, you know, Ake is a, is, a, is a decent player, but a player of the presence and experience of a Koulibaly, I think, would be enormous for Man City. I, I still believe they definitely need to strengthen there. Spider, Chelsea. Sorry, mate. Yeah, sorry, you,
3: you, 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 what's your say on Man City? Come on, buds. <laughs> let, us, let us know. I can see you sitting there, mate. You're plugging away. You want to say something. What do you think? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think they need Valley, to be honest. Uh, I, think, I think that's one of the things that they're missing. Uh, otherwise, no. I wouldn't have brought it up. I mean, Messi would have been lovely, let's be honest. But oh. um, I, I think that's, uh, that that would have catapulted not only City, but, but the Premier League into this, the stratosphere yeah. had he mm, come to yeah. England. He still might, of course, over the next uh, 12 months. Uh be interesting to see how that January transfer window plays out. Um, I saw that he did suit up for the first time since uh, the big route for a pre-season friendly for Barcelona. Is he happy? Mm, not sure. <laughs> so, the next uh, six months are going to be very interesting with regards to uh, Leo Messi. Uh, Spider, <laughs> I want to ask you about Chelsea. They've been the big spenders uh, of the Premier League over the closed season. Timo Werner's come in, Kai Havertz, Ben Chilwell, Thiago Silver on a free transfer, Hakim Ziyech. Um, Frank Lampard going a different way. Of course, they had the transfer ban last year, so he had to go with the youngsters. Uh, now that those kids have had twelve months uh, in the first team, how does he blend th- those new big stars in together with the youngsters? And could they be uh, Liverpool and Man City's big challenges?
3: I oh, look. I oh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Lampard's. Uh, I think he's done a great job. Uh, the way his coaching career has started. Uh, I think they 've got double competition this year as well, so he 's going to need all those players and you know what son If you can afford it, and they 're not ridiculous amounts of money yes they it 's a lot of money, but for a Premier League giant like chelsea it 's not ridiculous money, and they 're going to need those players over both competitions if they 're going to compete. With Liverpool and Man City, so I, I think they're a big threat. I, I think they'll be they'll be in the hunt for a long, long way.
0: Maury, Manchester United—they uh, signed Donny van der Beek from Ajax. Um, mm-hmm. Harry Maguire, of course, had a very interesting off-season, but uh, mm-hmm. he's uh, retained the captaincy just about um how do you see them going this season they sort of a, a season of progress i guess under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer last year can they continue that this season
2: look yeah i mean there's been some recent news obviously with greenwood uh, in terms of the the, mm. the stuff with, with with england and some happy gas so not not great headlines for manchester united uh, but i actually believe that they will have a a good season donny van der beek would be a great signing um, the goalkeeping situation. Spider might like to add on that. You know, De Gea needs to be needs to be better and more consistent. If he if he is, um, Man United. We're still kind of saying didn't have a great season last year, or the perception was they they, they didn't do great. They finished third. Mm, yeah. um, you know, so it, it wasn't too bad. And I think uh, I think is actually building something quite nice again at Manchester United.
0: What about that goalkeeping yeah, situation, I, Spider? David De Gea, or do, does he go with Darius Henderson, who had a great season on loan at Sheffield United? Did, yeah.
3: Well, it's funny. There was there was a lot of talk of Casper uh, Schmeichel going there in the off season, wasn't there? Yep. Mm. yep. And I don't I don't know what eventuated there and why why that didn't happen. But look, let's be honest. Man, we're talking about the hare, Like he's yeah. actually a very very good keeper. Mm-hmm. So I mean, he didn't have a great year last year. Okay, that can happen. But he's still a very, very good keeper. So I think uh, with a little bit more pressure, I think he'll get the nod. He'll start the season. And then it's up to him. And I agree with Maury. I think Man United last year copped a lot of flack for, for actually finishing third in the competition. They're a good side. They were young. They were mobile. But the players got more experience. And they're a threat this year as well. Do I think they can finish ahead of Liverpool and Man City? No. But will they make a big... Uh, big difference in the league to see who wins it I think yes
0: okay before we uh, close this segment guys um, I want one word answers or one team answers um, or three in terms of the relegation battle Uh, Mm -hmm. who are your champions this season and who are the three to go down Maury
2: champions for me are Mm -hmm. Liverpool I think they'll go back to back Um, relegation I believe the three teams that will go down will be Fulham I think Aston Villa can go down. And I also think Brighton are going to struggle this
0: year. Spider. Mm. Uh,
3: I think Man City will win it. Uh, you're happy with that, aren't you, buds? <laughs> you like that one? You like that one? I can see the smoke. You like that one? I think they'll bounce back. Uh, I just think they were they were beaten by a fantastic team last year. My only concern... I don't, I still think Liverpool's a fantastic side. My only concern is that... All the success they had last year, can the players lift that 2 or 3 4% that they need to go back-to-back? So I think Man City will be hungry. I think they'll win it. I think Fulham will go back down. I think West Brom will go back down. And I think the other one will be between Brighton and, oh, you know what, West Ham. Mm. Poor at the moment. Mm-hmm. Poor. Mm-hmm. I think they'll struggle.
0: Yeah, I was going to go with those three as well. Fulham, West Brom and potentially West Ham for me unless they sort things out. And in terms of the title got to be city hasn't it yes on, i can't see city winning it guys <laughs> I, I cannot see city winning the league this year we shall see who is correct uh, come may or is it maybe even june next year who knows in this uh strange <laughs> covid time uh thanks guys for the moment uh let's move on to our final segment of the week and this week it's a big one in footballers lives footballers lives Well, our guest this week probably holds the most important position in football in this country. Born in Sydney in 1963, he started his playing career in the NSL with Sydney United before heading overseas to play for Roda Kakrada in Holland. He had further spells with Liege and Charleroi in Belgium, with Nat Breda back in Holland, with Sanfrecce Hiroshima in Japan, and then finally with Northern Spirit back here in Australia. As a coach, after cutting his teeth at two of his former clubs, he spent many years as Frank Farina's number two with the Socceroos. Then, after an interim spell in charge of the national team, he reverted to being number two under Pim Verbake. Finally, he got his chance as a number one with the Central Coast Mariners, where he led them to their first and so far only A League title. And then, after a short stint in Japan with Vigalta Sendai, he got the job at Sydney FC, winning another title in 2017 before returning to the national team job this time on a full-time basis in 2018. It's a real pleasure to welcome Graham Arnold to the podcast. Good to see you, Arnie. How are you? Mate, I forgot about all that. <laughs> Did that really happen? We're, we're going to go <laughs> really? through it in detail, I tell you. But before we do, now I know you've just been on a little break uh, away with your wife, Sarah. Um, mm-hmm. Now tell us the funny story that, that happened whilst you were on your little break. He got mistaken for somebody else. Now look, I... <clears throat>
4: thought I'd get away for the weekend and you know I know I've you know without coaching you you know people forget who you are quickly and so I thought I'd grow a beard and go away where no one had recognized me I went up to Hawk's Nest went to the bar to get a beer the guy's looking at me he goes I know that face he says <laughs> and I said oh yeah and I said where from he goes let me get back there I said okay no problem and I'm standing there waiting for me beer and he goes you're Wally <laughs> <laughs> and I went and I went, Oh no. I said, That's why I grew a beard, so no one would recognise who I was. And he goes, Mate, you're I said, listen, don't tell anyone we are. Right? Don't tell anyone, please. I'm here for a quiet weekend. He says, Yeah, no problem. Three days I was Wally Massua. <laughs> <laughs> and he was asking you about Paul McNamara and oh, Paul yeah. McNamee and all the he other things. He says, what are those twins, uh, the, the doubles couple, sorry, that were, they were great in those days? I said, oh, oh Peter McNamara, and Paul McNamee. Oh, yeah, they were great. What were they like, this place? Oh, mate, champions. Great job. <laughs> so go, okay. And then he says, what was that Pat Cash like? I said, oh, he's a bit of a twat. And <laughs> go, oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Oh, you still hit the ball? Oh, yeah. I said, if they hit it straight at me, I can't run. But I, <laughs> yeah. I hit the ball back. <laughs> oh, <brilliant>. Absolutely. <laughs> You're going to have a laugh. <laughs>
0: um, well, I suppose it is uh, easy to forget football coaches at the moment, particularly national team coaches, aren't So, mm. how are you filling your time at the moment uh, with, without international matches? Yeah,
4: it's, uh, there's, two oh, it. No, there's two ways of looking at it. There's two uh, ways of looking at it. It can be a tough time and a lonely time, or it can be half time. Uh, you know, I've probably had 13 years of coaching, uh, you know, since, as you said, since 2007, uh, to 2020, we're coaching full on. And, you know, when you coach it is full on, it's, there's no, <clears throat> you don't get a day off nearly the whole time. And, uh, and at the moment, obviously with no football in, in place, uh, I'm using this like a halftime my coaching career. And after this, the coronavirus is over pandemic is done and a vaccine is brought forward and we get international football back on the field, well then uh, I'm getting ready for the second half in the next 13 years. Is it a frustration at the moment that, uh, I know for
0: example last week New Zealand announced that they're going to play an international against uh, England at Wembley and yet there's Mm. there's no uh, date set in stone yet for for the Socceroos as to what you're going to do?
4: Yeah, look, uh, you've got to look at also that uh, New Zealand in Oceania didn't have any any anything in that window, anyway, so they could prepare maybe six to ten months ago, where we had World Cup qualifiers that were meant to be played in November. So they've been obviously lately delayed. Um, so therefore, it's 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 tougher to get any type of European nation because most of them are playing in the Nations Cup and they you know they've got games. But look, we're we're reaching out to other uh, uh, other fend- uh, uh, a member federations. Sorry. Concacaf, Comorbal, to see what they're doing if their World Cup qualifiers are still on, and uh, you know there is a strong uh, feeling that uh, and a good appetite to have a couple of friendlies in November. Okay, in terms of um,
0: the other stuff that you're doing around the FFA, I know, I know mm-hmm. you're helping James Johnson quite a bit, trying to put in place uh, certain strategies, um, programs. Uh, you, you're throwing around ideas to try and. Uh, reboot the game because mm. we all know that it's you know, in a little bit of trouble at the moment. Um, what's, uh, can you give us any insight into what all that's about?
4: Yeah, look, uh, like everyone else, you know, I took a, a pay cut, 50% pay cut when the uh, coronavirus came So only 3 million on a year now. Huh? Only 3 million a year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <that's laughs> and, uh, you know, just with my appetite and passion for the game here in Australia, I, I said to James I would go away and uh, with my Analysts do a document, uh, and it's only sta- uh, uh, stats and data. It's no opinion-based, no recommendations, and really have a look at where we're at as a game, but why we're not producing talent anymore. And you know, I hate to compare generations and 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 those type of things, but look at why in a semi-professional world of the old NSL did we produce these wonderful players. And why, in a professional world uh, of the A League, are we not doing the same? And you know, we've come up with a 22-page a, a um, summary of, of it, and it will be on; it'll be available online uh, on the FFA um, social media website. That will give people a, a real good look into again why we're not doing that. And it's all based; a lot of it's based around some major decisions that were made in the game years ago. Uh, and I can rattle off a few. For example, in 2003, the old NSL stopped. There were 16 teams. 2005, the A League started with seven teams. Uh, then Eight. the A League NYL. Eight, but I, I guess uh, excluding yeah, yeah, New Zealandites. Yeah. I have trouble calling New Zealand. It's no problem. Okay. <laughs> An Australian-based team, because yeah. at the end of the day, you know, I only can select Australian players yeah. for to play for national teams. So seven. Then you look at there was no NYL from 2003 to 2009, 2009, the Australian Institute of Sport got shut down, 2015, the NYL went from 18 games back to 8, and then when you just look really across a whole data of match minutes and games, then we are very, very low, and we need to play more football.
2: Arnie, I know, I know how, how passionate you, you are in terms. I speak to you regularly about the, the development of younger players. So you must have been quite excited for the, the, the restart of the A League that these younger players were getting that exposure and opportunity, one. Uh, but secondly, uh, now the, the disappointment of potentially three to six months uh, without football development for
4: these players. Exactly, Maureen. I think that if there's one thing that, without being negative, uh, looking at with the, when the, the, the games came back after the coronavirus was how good the young boys stepped up and represented really either their region or their state. Mm. And you know, the crazy thing is, is here in Australia, it's, uh, you know, we're doing things right across the whole nation in a different way. Each state is doing things differently. There's maybe there's not a right or there's not a wrong, but we need to join together as a nation and develop and and put the pathways in place to help develop the best kids. And the fact now, those kids, as you just said, they played, they did excellent. Uh, And then now they're not going to play for another six months. Who knows the nature of what the NYL is going to look like next year, if that's going to even be available. So for me, the NPL clubs uh, are probably the most crucial part of the development side of the game in Australia because Australia is so big, we've tried it the Dutch way, we've tried it the other way, and for me it hasn't worked. We now need to do it the Australian way.
3: I'm glad you said that about the MPL clubs, Arnie, and I think a lot of clubs out there, you know, they'll be jumping for joy to actually hear that they're important again. And you feel they're important. We've mm. been saying on the show for a long time about a second division. Um, they've always developed players, haven't they? They yeah. whatever it's been. I, I remember when I was a kid. Mate, growing up and playing under you guys and mate, getting the balls and collecting boots and learning from you guys and the experiences in the dressing rooms, that, that will help develop players and it will give more kids opportunity. So where, where do you think the, the second league's at, mate? Yeah. How far away?
4: Well, that's it. That, that for me, Spider, that's the whole thing now. With the, after COVID, we need to implement something straight away for the kids. If I, I truly believe strongly that we need a, a second division. Whatever that is, a championship or whatever, but how long is it going to take to put it to be put in place? I believe at this moment in time we don't have another year to waste. Yeah. At the, at the no, moment, man. Spider, and you're, you've got a son that's been through it, and, and you've got a son that's grown up through it. That you know, we can, from what I believe, in, and being told by coaches that have gone over to Europe and taken young kids away. Up to the age of sixteen, we can compete with anybody. Yep. But as soon as we get to seventeen and there's no football for those kids, so your son and those kids that went away to the, to Brazil, uh, mm-hmm. and they got in the last sixteen in the world with the Joeys and the under seventeen World Cup, they come back and they've played two games of football since. How do you expect Spot people it. how do you expect people to get great at their trade if they're not practicing their trade? And for me, the age group between 17 to 23. You know, when I what made me do this was I did the Olympic team and, and really have a deep look into Australian football was when I did the Olympic team in Thailand this year. And when you're, you're picking kids aged between 20 and 23 to play in the under-23 tournament, so kids born from 97 to 2000, Each A-League club I was ringing, I was ringing about two to three players in the whole country. So when your time's at by nine, ten, you're talking about 24 to 25 players right across the whole country that were eligible for the Olympic team. (laughs) Which is your squad, basically. (laughs) Which is one squad more. And I'll tell you, I ended up taking six players born in 2000. It was a very young squad. And if I couldn't have got eight or nine players out of Europe,
3: mm-hmm. we'd
4: have been, we would have been lucky to field a team, which yeah. is why... And, did and this well is the thing, qualify. Arnie,
3: do
4: you... Go
0: on, Sorry,
3: Simon. I was just going to say, does Arnie then think that that, that that has to be rectified, clear as day, that that has to be rectified ASAP? Because, yeah. I mean, is this why kids are leaving Australia at 17, 18? Because they don't see a pathway?
4: Exactly. Um, I... You know, if you look at the average age of the A League, so if you look at the average age across Holland, Belgium, Croatia, Serbia, Denmark, those type of competitions, the average age of a starting eleven that goes on the pitch is 24 years of age. The average age in the A League is 32. Yep, and because then the coaches age aren't brave enough, are they, of the, the starting elite of, of starting the starting off. eleven of all the A League teams Seriously? is 32. 32. Yep, and then yep. the yeah. And I'm not saying that the kids need to play in the first team. What I'm saying is they yeah. need to play football. Yeah. And when, you, when the kids get to play eight games a season, and then another rule that hurt us even more was, was uh, the NYL was played on the same day as the A-League. Yeah. Some of those kids got to play three games, one, some one game the whole season. Yeah. You're yeah. talking about our elite kids. So they, for me, the whole thing needs to change and we have to do it now because, you know, I, I said this this morning to James Johnson, so let's picture this. At this moment, and I'm, I'm a very positive person, but I'm just saying, at this moment today, <laughs> with, no, no, with no A-League. No, with no A-League at the moment, right, because <clears throat> the A-League's finished. Normally, we'd have World Cup qualifiers September, October, November. Yeah. And with no A-League at this moment, and with what's overseas on the weekend, I had 12 players. So there was 12 Australians that played this weekend over the whole world. How um, many in Europe? Did you say? Sorry, how well, many in Europe? Uh, there was uh, 12. Yeah. Matty Ryan will make 13 tonight.
2: Okay. Okay.
4: In the whole yeah. in the whole world. Yeah. Yeah,
2: not 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 good enough. Not where we need to be for for a national team coach to to have the opportunity to to, to pick the the strong team to be successful. But Arnie, the the younger player in the development, right? So I know, like I says, the the passion is there, and and we need to think a little bit differently. So for example, young Isaac Powell, who did play in that World Cup uh, in November in Brazil, the Under Seventeen World Cup. Yep. Now I remember uh, there was a time at Brisbane Raw where he travelled with the first team to, to Perth,
4: yeah,
2: right? He was left out of the squad, so he sat in the stand, and therefore missed a, a game here in Brisbane for the senior MPL side. So we, we've got to start sort of like backing up the talk. We talk about developing players. How do we develop players? It's by playing games. Yep. But our actions at times don't, uh,
4: just don't match up with our words. Exactly. So maybe, again, for me, the most important thing is the kids playing. So, maybe Maury, what did you do in Europe in that situation? Well, when I played in Europe, we'd play <laughs> Tuesday night. Yeah. So, yeah. maybe A League clubs, if they in NPL, maybe if, they, if Brisbane plays Perth on the Saturday, just for one week mm. out of yeah. that 40 weeks, Brisbane Raw youth team have to play Tuesday night against an NPL team to enable yeah. those kids to play rather than just call, them, you know, uh, not, yeah. not enable the kids to play.
2: Yeah, but that second division is all second division, reserve team, whatever you want to call it, Arnie. It's, yeah. it's, it's not only important for those younger players that need game time, but also you have first-team players that are coming back through injury. Whereas yeah. we know in Europe, you have that opportunity to play in the second team to get your fitness to be ready for the first team.
4: So, I, exactly, Maureen, I ask you the question, who's the best, probably was the best coach for you on match day playing centre-back at Glasgow Rangers on match day?
2: Yeah, I mean, for me, advocate was, was, was the best.
4: Yeah, and the experienced players around you when you were young that, that oh, mate, helped learnt, you on the pitch?
2: I, I, I learnt from great leaders. You know, you're talking the likes of your, your Richard Goffs. Um,
4: exactly. You know,
2: top, top pros.
4: Yeah, so exactly. So uh, something that happens during a game in a split second, you know, and you've got an experienced player playing next to you and say, go right a bit, drop off a bit, push up a bit, you know, and is communicating on the pitch. You get to coach before the game, halftime, and during the week. But, you know, I look at Alex Wilkinson, for example. Mm-hmm. Everyone who plays next to Wilco becomes a great player mm-hmm. because of his communication, his leadership, and how he mm-hmm. helps the kids. And that's something... Patrick, his fans like,
0: would have been the same for you at, at the Mariners. Yes. Yeah. At the Mariners, he was great. I guess, uh, Arnie, the, the issue... We all know what the problems for the game. The, the, the problem is the solution requires investment. And money, we all know that's always been the game's problem. How do we solve that issue? I know you're not the financial man; you don't sit on the board, but the game lacks money to be able to implement some of these solutions. How do
4: we resolve that never-ending conundrum? Yeah, look, I think uh, you know, obviously, money is 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 important. I think we have, you know, owners at the moment with uh, with a good uh, a lot of money and. I think if you branch out the new franchises, I think there is money in, in, in Australia. Maury's part of one now in Canberra. I think that yeah. uh, you know to get more clubs is is something that uh, the sport needs in the short and long term. But uh, just for me, again, I'm just talking about the kids and where they can play. And I just think with Australia so big that them doing that in their state will help that enormously. Okay. Um-
0: We're going to just branch away from the future. We've got some Twitter questions coming up in a little while as well from our listeners, but a lot of people, certainly younger people, will probably not remember your playing career. Um, I can't. (laughs) Well, I hope you can, (laughs) because I'm going to ask you about it. Um, You started, as we said, in Sydney United
4: uh, in particular. Listen, I didn't play for Sydney United. I played for Sydney Sydney, Croatia. Croatia.
0: Okay. As they were. Correct, Graham. That's correct, Graham.
4: (laughs) (laughs) You got to
0: one grand final, 1988. Now, I actually had a look at this on YouTube uh, yesterday. You lost to Marconi on penalties. The one thing that I can't believe, and the one thing that is probably better today, even though we still complain about it, the pitch looked... Damned awful. It
4: was, that, was, that was good pitch in those days, <laughs> Parramatta Stadium. <laughs> that was the only one at that, that time of year that had grass. Oh, <laughs> um, but you lost that grand final.
0: You, you went overseas in 1990 with Rhoda Kakradi. I think uh, Gary Van Egmont was there with yeah. you as well yeah. at the start. Um, you played with some great players and under some fantastic coaches mm. down the years. I'm just going to pick a few names out of here. At Rother, you played with Ronald Vaterus, who I think uh, played at yeah, Rangers. Yeah, uh, yeah. Mario Bain. Alphonse Gronendijk, who I, Gronendijk, I remember yeah, at yeah, Manchester City yeah, many years yeah. later. Uh, RFC Liege, uh, you played under Eric Heretz and then yeah. George Lakins. Uh, you played with Victor Iqpaba, Sunday Alise. Matt um, right. Brady you had Tony Vidmar with you. Yeah. I mean, these were terrific players, great coaches. Do you feel as though you absorbed like a sponge a lot of information from all those players around you, particularly from your time in Europe, not exclusively?
4: Hmm. Yeah. Look, those times were uh, a fantastic time because, first of all, there was no social media. (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully, (laughs) you could get away with everything. (laughs) No, but, you know, like the the days that I went overseas, there was three foreigners per club and Hmm. a Belgian player in Holland was a foreigner. Hmm. Uh, So, it was pretty crazy that, uh, you know, there was a handful of Australians who got brought over to Europe. Uh, and, and you know, played in those top European leagues. And then think Eddie Krensevich was was one of the first ones with Dave Mitchell, Slater, Farina. And we all got, and then myself, and we all got picked up by playing with the national team uh, mm-hmm. and, and doing those tours and having clubs come out here and play play against us. But, you know, the, the coaching was brilliant. Like, you know, it took me... I have to say, looking back on it, I probably played in a semi-pro league in... in in Australia, I was a builder at the time and I had to go to work every day and then train at night And my game probably went up another 50-60% of what I played here mm. in Australia and obviously with great players around you but the level of competition that you play against and so you know what I took out of the coaching or well, the Dutch methods and Dutch ways uh, was fantastic, I had a great assistant coach uh, Willy van der Kolen at uh, when I first went to Rhoda, and he's one of the leading goal scorers of all time in Dutch football at PSV. And just the little details that he gave me as a striker on creating and making your own space to score, uh, score goals in the box. <clears throat> it was fantastic. Uh, Eric Gerrits uh, in, in Belgium, was, it was his first year of coaching. He was probably the best player that we had, <laughs> even though he, he was 40 years of age and retired at PSV. <laughs> and it was funny because that year... And that, that, uh, that, that part of that uh, era with Eric was when uh, I played with John Mark Bosman. The uh, Bosman from
0: Infamous John Mark so Bosman. So in was, the old days. He
4: changed football. Uh, in the old days, you had, uh, when you were off contract, you still had a transfer price on your head.
3: Yeah, uh,
4: And Eric, uh, so Eric Goetz was in his first year of coaching. He didn't want John Mark Bosman with, with the team. They put 500 grand on his head that he couldn't leave. And Eric made him train with a reserve grade. So and he, that's uh, where it all
0: started. Yeah, that's
4: where it all started. And, and it, he went, all he wanted to do, he was about 28, 29 years of age. All he wanted to he do was go and play with free. his mates. Yeah, he huh?
2: yeah, just wanted to be free and go play yeah. football.
4: And, and all he wanted to do was go play with his mates in a French third division competition. And because of that price, uh, he couldn't do it. And that's where it all started. He awesome, fought, yeah, he but fought if the they win. would have rang
3: up the PFA, they would have got involved and got him off. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, like they did for you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: In terms of your, uh, your coaching career, Arnie, obviously um, you started, as we say, as, as assistant with, with soccer, as under Frank Friend to start off with. You, you've had lots of highs and lows, both as a, a, as a senior coach and as a, as a number two. I um, just want to pick out... A, couple of the highlights, uh, the Mariners title win in 2013, and then obviously your, your success with Sydney FC in 2017, along with the, the, the national team's success as a number two in particular. What's given you the most satisfaction in terms of those ups? We'll maybe talk about one or two of the downs in a moment as well. But the
4: downs are the best, because it's the best learning experience you can have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The ups are great, and it gives you a reward for... A, you know, all the hard work that you do. You know, I, obviously, like people like to talk about Frank Farina, like Frank Farina was coach of the national team, but they don't say about what he really did well. Right? He had to go through a period in a term where the ASF shut down. It was completely mm-hmm. broke. There was no competition. And Frank Farina and we won a, a, a bronze medal at the Confederations Cup. We beat France and we beat yeah. Brazil 1-0 in the semi final. And then Frankie, and then we went to Germany and uh, for the Confeds Cup there, and that was Frankie's last, uh, right. last, last tournament. And Frankie did a great job in bringing all these guys through and giving them a lot of, lot of game time with experience. Uh, on my side of it, the wonderful learning experience was Goose Hitting on detail. He wasn't, and I know these boys will say, I had a great experience with him as an assistant coach because of the way that he treated me, uh, the way he because treated me. Because
2: you can have a cigar. Me. You can have a cigar and a glass of red, <laughs> red <laughs> with <him.
4: laughs> Yeah, While well, we had
3: to uh, run like dogs.
4: <laughs> yeah. And, and he was, uh, his attention to detail, and everything, but the, then the way he managed people, I saw something completely different in that. And I tried to do that same way, and it was the biggest mistake I ever did. And that was 2007. Mm. And then I had this great... Man manager in Bait. Pim was a a, a great. Uh, was a, a, a very good coach, but was just an unbelievable human being. And yeah. and the way he man managed, it really left a lot of detail with me. And that's what the type of manager that I have learnt the most out of because it doesn't hurt to send a text to a player who's playing overseas and say well done. It doesn't hurt to reach out to players where Chris. Morial, he would not even... These guys probably didn't have a conversation with him. Mm. Ruthless. So I saw two two different aspects of coaching. And, and you know, I still say, you know, like one of the uh, my best achievements has been is qualifying the Oli Ruse in 2008 for Beijing when there was no NYL competition. I had, I had 23 players who didn't play a minute nearly the whole season. and mm-hmm. But being able to get after the... You know, your negative one will be the two thousand and seven Asian Cup. After I being think able you already to touch on that to be fair. No, that's no, great. Yeah, 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 Uh after being able to remove that and get straight back into coaching and having that bit mm. of success uh with the Olli Rue boys and qualifying for Beijing is what made me go forward.
2: Arnie, imagine uh, obviously one of your great successes you touched on there two thousand and eight, uh, with the lack of minutes from those players. Mm. Um and look how far the rest of Asia have come along in that period of time to to where where we sit now. That that's a bit I think that we're all slightly uncomfortable with at the moment. eh? Ah,
4: oh, Maury, it's um, you know we've done it. What we've done in the past has been ten days acclimatization, I call it, not yeah. preparation for junior uh, World Cup qualifiers. Yeah, people want to call it AFC tournaments. Well, they they're actually they double up as junior World yeah. Cup qualifiers. And ten days preparation, and if you don't qualify, they shut the program down. And you know it's you know you look at the money that the 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 Middle East countries, Japan, South Korea, and they're all putting in, is uh, you know it's untold. And we've got to get serious about it. And get serious about it. Well, then uh, we can we will fight the whole way.
0: Just want to ask you one more, Arnie, before uh, we move on to some Twitter questions. Uh, in terms of Going back to club football, I don't know whether that's still an ambition of yours. You had a very brief spell overseas with Vigalta Sendai in Japan that's, that didn't
4: really work out. Is mm-hmm. that still an ambition of yours or not? 100%. Um, you know, no matter what people say, um, I it was mutual, uh, a m- mutual agreement in, in Sendai. Like, they wanted me to stay on. I had two draws and four losses, but I couldn't manage the way I wanted to manage with communication because of the trans, I needed a translator and to go through a translator, I couldn't read the body language of the players. I couldn't get a connection with the players. And and I think that's uh, that's what I try to specialise in, in, in managing is, is the man management side of things. And I went to the chairman after a game and I wasn't enjoying it. And I went to the chairman after the game and I'd said to him, if I stay, you're getting relegated. And he said, why? They wanted me to stay till at least the middle of the season. And I, I gave it in after six weeks because I could see that the players weren't understanding what I wanted them to do. I could see they weren't – obviously, we lost 4-0 in one game against who are our Reds. And, <clears throat> you know, they, could, they couldn't they could read what I wanted them to do. So, as I said, I went to the chairman and said, if I stay, you'll get relegated. You'll have a, a sponsor crisis, a fans crisis, a player crisis. It's easier that I walk away now with a mutual agreement. I didn't take a cent. I didn't. I had a two-year deal. I didn't take a payout. I walked and left, and I felt better for, uh, in for them that replacing me with the assistant coach Watanabe would have done a better job than me. Stan. But at some stage, you'd you'd still like to head have. Ah, hundred percent. Hundred percent. Like, uh, yeah. you know, the MLS attracts yeah. attracts uh, yeah. me a lot. Yeah. I, I really. Uh, I know a salary cap system works. I know that way but it and the cultural side of it is very similar to Australia, but I still have, you know, a lot of ambitions. Okay. Um, let's ask a couple of
0: uh, Twitter questions from our listeners. Um, this one from Dom, which is our question of the week. Uh, congratulations, Dom. You win a $100 voucher for Outback Steakhouse. How do you feel about
4: Lyndon Dyke's decision to play for Scotland? I feel great. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's such a big decision. You know, these two guys here would have had a, 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 a would have been put in the same position where they had a chance to play. You know, for either Scotland, Australia, for Mori, Croatia, or Australia for Spider. And but the rulings were different in those days. Um, I had conversations, three conversations, four conversations with and over the telephone. I've got text messages, probably 20 text messages. Uh, René Molenstein went and watched him play live. If our qualifiers didn't get called off in March against Q8 and Nepal he was in the squad selected. Wow. And he had agreed already to come and play for Australia. Now that's changed a bit with his transfer from Kilmarnock to QPR. Um and you know at the end of the day it's it's such a big decision for him and his family. Yeah. And I wasn't going to put him under pressure just to cap him you know for a game or two games just to make the media happy or the public it's a it's a big decision for the kids, sure. I and I support him 100% with the decision he's made. Okay. Uh, Lee Broxham Facts uh, asks As
0: a former striker, what's something you can show off on the training pitch to the current team?
4: Now? Yeah. <laughs> <And> Absolutely <laughs> nothing. Absolutely <laughs> nothing. How to miss?
3: Absolutely <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Let me
4: give you the tip. <laughs> yeah, that was a uh, quick
0: answer. <laughs> and this, this one from Scott Greenwood. How is the training methods and professionalism? of Socceroos' teams and camps change between playing for and now
4: coaching the national team? Oh. Chalk and cheese? Yeah, chalk and cheese. Yeah. No, it's uh, – yeah, look, the amount of travel, the level of the games now is so high. Um, you know, it's – it's. A, I try to, again, drive a culture of enjoyment, a culture of pride yeah. uh, to play for your country. The boys give a lot of commitment to do what they do with playing abroad and travelling all the way here to Australia to play – for to play for their country, and when they go out in the pitch, I just want them to go out and enjoy doing it. Okay.
0: And the last one uh, from Nick Ogle via Facebook. Uh, Your thoughts, Arnie, on the first-string Socceroos being part of a big club but not getting regular uh, playing time against playing in a weaker league but playing every week?
4: Yeah, look, uh, I am for one that every, you know, uh, when you go through life, you go up the ladder. Uh, some players, younger players, have taken the jump from you know from here right to the top rung. And then, of course, they haven't played. They've had to come all the way back down. And some, their careers can be over. I think it's one step at a time. Okay. Your career gets better and better as you keep playing, 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 rather than not playing at all. Okay.
0: And uh, thanks for all your questions uh, this week. And thank you to Graham Arnold For being a very, very interesting Part of our podcast Uh, Thanks for coming in, Arnie How come come, you've got a bit of purple there
4: And a bit of yellow on your beard (laughs) And grey and black (laughs) Whereas yours is all You call me interesting (laughs) Hey,
3: hey, Arnie Normally on the show We ask people about their favourite ground And stuff like that But uh, I've just got a message From someone in Holland to say Could you ask Arnie's favourite nightclub in Kerkrade (laughs) (laughs)
4: <laughs> now that was, uh, that was La that.
3: Diligence.
4: I was going to say that's 30 years ago, and I still remember La Diligence. Apparently, apparently there's, a, <laughs> there's a plaque there in your honour. Oh, yeah, it's still yeah.
0: there. Thanks, guys. Uh, thanks, thanks for watching, And thanks to Spider. Thanks, Arnie. thanks to Arnie. Arnie,
2: thanks very much, mate, for your time.
0: Thanks, Maury. Top man, yeah. mate. And that is us for another week. Zoom connections notwithstanding. We're back, same time, same place next week. Until then.
3: Bye for now.